Hello everyone, this is Deborah Richardson and today I am putting the AP in Happy where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. This podcast will give a voice to accounts payable team members by talking about the growing reality of cyber attacks in their world and which vendor setup and vendor management techniques they can apply to protect the vendor master file from fraud. So if you and or your team are still taking phone calls and receiving vendor supporting documentation via email, you need to authenticate that you are talking or communicating with your vendor. Please visit deborahrrichardson.com slash authentication where you will find a workshop on how to build an authentication reference. This is the answer to the question, are you communicating with your vendor or with a fraudster? Learn more today at Deborah R. Richardson slash authentication. So you may already know that you need to get your vendor sensitive information out of email, but you may not know a couple of options that you can use instead. If you want to learn about that, keep listening. Welcome to episode 100, why you need to get vendor sensitive information out of email and two options to use instead. So I do want to take a moment and just recognize that this is the 100th episode. I've been publishing this weekly podcast since October of 2018, and it has really become the highlight of my week. So what that means for you is that there are 99 other podcast episodes that you can enjoy. So get to listening if you haven't listened to all of them. I try to include valuable items from A to Z that you can take back little tidbits and implement in your process or with your team. So by now, if you have been listening to my podcast episodes or some of them, um, or just breathe air in and out every day, you know about fraud scenarios to divert accounts payable payments from your real vendors to cyber criminals. AP team members, I am sure, um, as I did when I was a practitioner, that you live in fear that one day you may fall for a social engineering scam and update a a vendor's banking to a fraudulent account or set up a fraudulent vendor and send them that dreaded wire transfer payment. And if that wasn't enough in dealing with email, there's the vendor's sensitive data, such as their tax identification number, because that could be their social security number if they are an individual, sole proprietor, or single member LLC, and they don't have an EIN. Um, And then along with the banking details, 
both of those uh, pieces of information for your vendor needs to be treated as sensitive, personal, identifiable information. So removing vendor supporting documents required for ads or changes like the W-9 or your ACH form um, can reduce the potential for scams or for the sensitive information to get in the wrong hands. And we'll talk about that as we move into this next section, why you need to get sensitive, personal, identifiable information out of email. And these really should be a given. Um, and the first one, I've got four. So the first one is really just the lack of authentication controls. Now, yes, many companies now have an external indicator that an email did not come from your company's domain. However, communication to new and existing vendors will always be external. Unless you have an authentication process in place to verify the identity of your vendor, other signs may just be missed that that email is not legitimate. So if you need, by the way, to build an authentication reference that is customized to your company, to your industry, to identify your vendors before adding fraudulent vendor data, I'll put a link to authentication workshops that I have um, there every Thursday through, I believe it's December 17th. So sign up for one, come in, get your authentication reference template completed so that you and your team can use it. And that lack of authentication controls will just go away. Now, the second one is email scams. And we've all heard of this. Um, and according to the FBI's 2019 crime report, in 2019, they received 23,775 complaints about business email compromise, which resulted in $1.7 billion in losses. And that's 71500 um, dollars USD per reported incident. And I do have to str um, uh, stress that it is reported. We don't know about the ones that haven't been reported and many companies do not report it. Now, according to APWG's uh, Fishing Activity Trends Report, that shows that in Q2 2020, pandemic special, that BEC wire transfers increased to 80,000 per incident from uh, Q1 2020. So it has gone up. And I think in Q1 2020, it was around 54,000. So two different reports, um, two different time periods. We definitely see that email scams such as BEC uh, is rising. So the next one, number three, or the third one is email hacking. And here, cyber criminals are hacking into our or our vendors' emails. And what they're doing is they're laying low and monitoring the conversations to strike when payments are due. And I do have an example of a case study from PBC Today where the um, vendor was, uh, uh, their email was hacked and they were a construction vendor. And as soon as that third payment for that construction job was due, 
the vendor knew it and the vendor then submitted the change of bank details. So they're, they're, they are getting more strategic and I think I've, I've reported this before. So it's, you may have heard of it before. You may have heard it in your own alerts or notifications, but it's out there. They know when a payment is due and they will send an email using language flow that's based on monitoring the email. So they know what the tone needs to be like to make that email more believable and just make it seem more legit. And when they submit the change of banking details using that same language and using that same tone, it really does sound more legitimate. And I actually had a vendor uh, contact me today because the same thing happened to them. And the point or the position of the buyer was, well, it was your email that was hacked that allowed them to know when to send the vendor bank change email so that when we made the payment, um, that payment went to the fraudster's bank account. Even though the uh, uh, buyer did not have protocols in place to contact the vendor or they didn't have the bank account ownership in place to verify that the bank account was owned by the vendor or they didn't even have authentication control. So they're just completely lacking in controls, but they're taking the position that, Hey, it was your email that was hacked. So it's your fault that, or the onus is on you that we made the payment to the wrong place. So not quite sure how that's going to turn out. I actually asked him to keep me um, in the loop when it's resolved uh, and maybe even have him on the podcast as a guest to talk about it from the vendor side. Cause you know, I always talk about it. And when I go out and network and, uh, and uh, well, when I used to go out and network at conferences and different events and talking to accounts payable personnel, always talked about it from the buyer side, never really got um, that point of view from the vendor. And this would be an interesting scenario to just kind of understand what the outcome of that fraudulent payment was. And then two, you know, what they think about the fact that unbeknownst to them, they're just reaching out because they didn't receive payment. And now they find out that all these other events have happened outside of their knowledge. All right, so the fourth one is collection by internal employees. So in many companies, the internal team members that have the relationship with the vendor and requested that product or service is also responsible for collecting those um, onboarding documents, uh, including the W-9 and the banking. Now, what do you think they do with that information? Um, destroy it as soon as the vendor is set up and update it? No, they retain it in case they ever need it again because they don't really want to go through all of the hoops that you asked them to go through to collect um, specific documents and then the vendor sends it to it wrong and then they can't get the right um, uh, representative at the vendor to you know fill out the W-9 correctly and so they don't want to go through all of that again so they actually keep it they retain it in case they ever need it again and those documents with that sensitive data are left in email, C drives, 
desktops, or worse, printed and filed. And when I was a practitioner with a Fortune 14, 15 company, um, what I experienced as we were implementing the global vendor portal, we actually went around and we talked to all of the large groups that submitted, um, that collected the documents from the vendors and sub, uh, submitted it to us in our current process and or in our current tool. And what I found out is they were not only collecting the documents from the vendors and keeping it, but they had also built their own database or own um, Excel spreadsheet to house that information so that when they needed it in the future for AP's purposes or for their purposes, it would be there. So that kind of brought up a, another big can of worms I won't cover here related to uh, uh, information uh, being stored outside of the system of record. But just keep in mind, they are not um, destroying that information. So if it comes by email, they're going to keep it. If it comes by mail, by the way, they're going to keep it too. So the best part, uh, the best way to uh, offset that is to um, collect it from the vendor. And with that note, I do have that segues us right to the next section with the two options. So how you can get sensitive personal identifiable information out of email. Now, I recently read on Digital Trends, um, email was not designed with any privacy or security in mind. Um, yes, I do know that there are secure email protocols and providers. Um, unfortunately, if any of you like me in the past have gotten a um, notice of change and that notice of change from the bank because I don't know maybe you didn't change the routing number when that when that um, changed because of uh, uh, banks merging and the beneficiary bank now is tired of, of making that change and now all of a sudden you get a notch violation well that notch violation is going to come in a secure email you have to sign in, you have to register, you have to sign in. So I know that those, um, that, that those types of tools or email tools are available, but that's when you initiate the email. That bank was initiating that email to me. Um, and so that may work when you're onboarding a vendor, but it just can't be controlled when a vendor or a cyber criminal initiates the email chain, such as when they're submitting a change to their information, or when that communication is via a non-AP internal employee. Because remember, you don't know if they got it from crook.com either. So let's look at two other options. So the first one is to use the vendor portal tools you already have. So I am a big proponent of using what you have, trying to figure out what feature of a um, tool that you've already purchased you are not using. I did that for years as a practitioner. It actually helped to um, enhance my career progression because I always looked at what we already had and every time I did that, there was always some feature, some module that was not turned on that if we turned it on, it would make X better. And so, 
use vendor portal tools you already have. So if you have an e-invoicing tool that allows the user to upload documents, then collect the W-9 and banking information form from the vendor within the tool. And if you're able, restrict who can see those non-invoice documents. Better yet, if you have a vendor self-registration portal, require that all vendors and internal employees use it. Um, I've implemented a vendor uh, self-registration portal in the past. I've designed those for different clients and I have seen more often than not that not all of the suppliers are run through that portal. Sometimes they strategically only put a certain level of suppliers in the uh, in the portal and then sometimes they just do not enforce the fact that the internal employees and the vendors need to use the portal. So if you have a vendor self-registration portal, require that all vendors and internal employees use it so that you can collect that uh, those sensitive documents within the portal after your internal employee or after your vendor has authenticated themselves through the sign-in. What's good about that is that it increases your adoption rate and your team only has one add and change process to monitor. So if you don't have either of those, if you don't have a, an e-invoicing system or if you do not have a vendor self-registration portal, reach out to me at Deborah at DeborahRRichardson.com because it is definitely time to automate. There are some third-party vendors out there like Financial Operations Networks that has both the invoicing and the vendor self-registration portal. Um, it's invoice info and vendor info. So you can get them both from the same um, company. And then there are other third-party um, providers out there that have excellent separate solutions. So if you need help with that, um, feel free to reach out to me. Now, this second way really only pertains to the W-9, but that's at least getting what could be a social security number out of email. So you may not have heard about W-9 Manager. Um, they've been around a few years, but they're still fairly new. And this tool will assist the vendor in completing the W-9 and then tell you once the vendor has completed it, whether the vendor is reportable or not. And then they'll send you the W-9 via secure email. So you will get that email that is encrypted. And one good thing is that it's really good for the vendor because to them, it's a free tool, free service to use. And once they complete the W-9 form, they can use it for other buyers. So they receive a link, they fill out the W-9 form, you receive the W-9 form in a secure email, and the service is that they tell you whether that vendor is reportable. And I know that that is a value add in identifying um, what vendors are reportable or not, especially if you have a lot of turnover in the vendor maintenance uh, team. Because as you may know by now, trying to train when to click that reportable or eligible for 1099 button on the vendor record can be a learning curve. 
Now, I know another thing that they do, which is a little different, is they require, and I believe it's require, if they don't require the EIN from a vendor that doesn't have one to keep them from entering in the SSN number, then they have a link to the IRS um, site where they can take that 15 minutes and create that EIN, come back and use that EIN within the W-9 manager. So I believe it's required, but I'm not exactly sure. But even if it's not, they have an option for that vendor to create that EIN so that you aren't storing that social security number in um, your vendor master file. And I actually did an episode, podcast episode of those 99 I was talking about. Um, Episode 47 is on requiring or should you require the EIN versus the SSN um, to reduce risk in the vendor master file. So uh, at least W9 does have that option and or requirement. You want to check them out, please do. Um, You can use my discount code HAPPY20 for 20% off. And I believe they have some type of a membership as well. Because as you know, with the whole 1099 NEC coming up in 2021 that you're going to have to use for 2020 activity, they've got a lot of information um, around that process and that new form. So use HAPPY20 for 20% off. All right, so those are the two options for getting your vendor's sensitive personal identifiable information out of email. Those are the two that I have for today. If you have any additional ways or options to get that sensitive information out of email that I haven't talked about here, feel free to comment on the platform that you're using to listen or shoot me over an email. I would love to um, make that information available to other listeners. And this podcast is also being sent to YouTube every week. So feel free to comment over there too. Again, others that are uh, listening on uh, on their platform may find that uh, information helpful. So thanks everyone. I hope you enjoyed the 100th episode of Putting the AP in Happy podcast, where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. Don't forget to check the show notes for the links mentioned in the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing and writing a review of my podcast on the platform that you use to listen. Stay happy.